0: This is
1: the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. You are back with another episode of the First Lady Podcast. Welcome back to the fourth episode. My name is Jenna Jones, and I think I speak for a lot of people in my life at the very least, but this has just been another one of those weeks where we're searching for the light at the end of the tunnel, where we're searching for the positivity in what seems to be a bleak situation. And it's funny because before this show started, I was talking with Doc of the Doc and Jock Show, which is on Detroit Sports Podcast every Thursday. And we were talking about that video, that one video of a little certain rock, paper, scissors between our Tigers and the clubhouse this week. And that, to me, epitomized my week in a whole, looking to find a little bit of humor and what seems to be a dumpster fire, garbage, absolute trash situation, summed up this week specifically with me between work stuff personal stuff and now on my way here my car taking an absolute dump on me I'm so ready for this weekend and I'm ready to talk about the light at the end of the tunnel in sports here in Detroit so we're going to hit a little bit of Tigers we are going to talk about that little rock paper scissors but most importantly we're going to talk about your manager Mr. Bradley David Osmus, the loved the hated depending on who you are and what our Tigers have to do to get back to the team that we love We're also going to talk a little lions, whether we're going to be optimistic or maybe a little pessimistic or just realistic when it comes to this season and what we're looking for heading into training camp. And we're going to hit a little bit of Jenna's tackles and takes at the very end, where we're going to tell you what you should be paying attention to around the country and here in Detroit. And spoiler alert, a chance to meet me this weekend. Details for that at the end of this episode of Detroit Sports Podcast. So, We're going to dive right into it. I want to talk some Lions. I want to talk about the pulse that I'm feeling so far as far as the season's going. Because I look at all of these new signings, and I like them. I like some of them. I like most of them. But there's positives and negatives to every situation. So I want to talk about the Anquan Bolden signing. I want to talk about the Slay signing that just dropped today. I want to talk about Jim Caldwell and whether this is really his chance at proving himself as a coach here for the Lions. Personally, I feel like Jim Caldwell has done a decent job working with what he's had, with all of the moves that he's had to endure and face with the Calvin Johnson retirement. And I want to talk a little bit more about that with Mr. Logan Lamarander. He's from Detroit Sports Nation, and he is a writer for that website. And he's going to come on and talk a little bit more with me. But before we do that, I want to talk about Mr. Matthew Stafford, because I'm going to ask Logan a question that I hope he's got a strong answer for me on. Because as we all know, the end of the two year contract is just on the horizon. And while we can't really talk about the re signing, the renegotiating just yet, there's a lot of talk nationally about what this guy is actually worth and what kind of number can we actually put on a guy like Matthew Stafford. I mean, the numbers are there. Last season during the 6 2 finish, he, pers- he completed 70% of those passes in that 6-2 finish last season. 19-2 to 2 touchdown to interception ratio. The guy's proven that he's got the talent. I've got to wonder if we make the right moves this season offensively and we put the right guys in the right places to try to fill that hole that is Megatron's absence. Can we see big things from the Lions this year? Can we see big things defensively? I feel like we've got a good shot if we can put all the pieces together to make something happen. We look at the signing of, the re-signing, I should say, the contract that happened with the Colts, with Andrew Luck. And Stafford himself had commented on a, on a deal like that. A deal which was worth $87 million guaranteed, $140 million deal with the Colts. Six years. Now, as of that time, that was the biggest deal that the league had ever seen. And the people around the league are making rumblings to say, this could be Stafford's time. He could be the next top gun within the league, which is great. I don't know if he's worth that much money. And that's the kind of discussion I want to get into with Logan. And I'm really excited about it. So we're going to bring him up now. Logan Lamorand-Deer, Detroit Sports Nation, Lions writer, football freaking fanatic, is here on the First Lady Podcast. Logan, it's so good to have you on.
0: Great being here. How's it going?
1: It's going really good. It was kind of interesting. I got to give people a little bit of back insight here. You and I met through Detroit Sports Nation just yesterday, and we have some really exciting, cool things happening within Detroit Sports Nation. We'll leave that under wraps for now. But what I thought was so cool is after I'd already decided to bring you on this show, I found out that you're living in Scottsdale, which is where I just moved from. And you're actually a fan (laughs) of one of the shows that I used to be on out there in Arizona. That's so cool.
0: Yes, a small world for sure. There's a big Midwestern presence out in Scottsdale. So, a lot of Lions fans. It's nice.
1: It is nice. And I got to ask you first before we dive in what's your favorite Lions bar to hang out with in the Scottsdale area? There's a lot.
0: You know, (laughs) I try not to go out to the bars too much when I'm watching my Lions. I got to be focused in. People just think I'm crazy if they see me out at the bar. So,. I gotta be in my own little zone when I'm watching the game. Add <laughs> a
1: boy, add a boy. So that's why I'm gonna head to you because I know that you know what's up with all these lions. So, pulse check. Do you think we're gonna be optimistic, pessimistic, or maybe just a little realistic as fans heading into this season?
0: Oh man, it's the beginning of the year. It's, everyone wants to be optimistic, but um, I'm I'm gonna be cautiously optimistic. That's for sure. I think uh, there's a lot of good things going on, but at the same time, there's there's some question marks. So. We'll see how it plays out, but I'm going to say I'm optimistic.
1: Okay, you know, I feel like that's that's my situation, too. I was talking to my dad about this last night. He and I were just shooting the breeze, and I said, you know, internally, as a human being, I tend to sway more towards the optimistic side of things, but, you know, there are so many good moves happening that I want to see as positive additions to this team. The Bolden signing, the Slay deal. You know, there's all these things with Taylor Decker. We've got things that Jim Caldwell says are going to be good fits for this team, and I want to stay crazy optimistic, but I have to hold my breath and say, well, what if this doesn't come together right? What if Stafford doesn't have the right chemistry with these guys with the with the Megatron absence? You know, I do have those question marks, and – On the realistic side of things, you're always going to have those question marks heading into a season because you just don't know till it's in front of you, right? But at the same time, I I do tend to agree with you. I think that these are hopefully going to be positive moves. So in speaking on those moves, Calvin Johnson is retired. Realistically, how is this hole going to be filled? Everybody knows the possibilities, but what do you see as the best possibility, the best fit for filling Megatron's absence?
0: You know, it's, it's been said probably a thousand times. I don't think there's any way you can really fill Calvin Johnson's shoes. It's going to take a team effort. And, you know, we've we've added a couple pieces, Anquan Bolden being one of them, Marvin Jones, I think will fill that role. And I think we're really going to have to establish a run game this year. We're not going to be able to rely so much on the pass game. And, you know, we tried to fortify our line through the draft with adding Taylor Decker, who's a run first guy. I think our running game is going to, have to get a lot better and in order for our offense to succeed, and that's only going to help Stafford out, too.
1: Well, I know that Stafford was speaking on that. He had said in the past, you know, it was pass, pass, pass till the very end of the game, and passing at the beginning of the game wins, but running at the end of the game wins more, and I yep. appreciate that, but then there's still those question marks with guys like Eric Ebron, and I know that nationally, they're making rumblings. Is this going to be a threat for his position? Do you see this being an issue for Eric Ebron with this with this absence?
0: I, I think it can actually help Ebron. Uh, one of his biggest issues is just he hasn't had the opportunity. I feel like to do a lot, and the, the draft has kind of blackened his name a little bit, unfortunately. But he's a very talented guy. I think he can step up. And before we signed Anquan Boldin, I thought he was going to probably be our biggest red zone guy, and he's still the biggest receiver option we have on our team. So <laughs> I think I, I mean, I'm expecting big things from Ebron. He's one of the guys that I think is going to take that next step. So if anything, I think. Ebron is a guy to look out for.
1: Definitely. And you had, you had mentioned, though, and I kind of want to peel back that a little bit. You had said before the Bolden signing. Do you think that takes precedence over this?
0: Well, the Bolden signing, I think he's, kinda, he's turned into a slot receiver. Uh, 56% of his snaps last year, he was in the spot. So kind of being, he's, not, he's never been a quick guy. His game has always been being physical, catching the ball in the middle, you know, using his body. He's not afraid. Um, he just has really strong hands. And he's kind of, I think he's going to turn into a safety blanket for Stafford. And to, at today's practice, he is already lining up in the slot with the first team. So if anything, I think that's going to take away from Ibrahim's role a lot. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think it, and the Bolden signing camp, it's going to help.
1: Okay, so I had thrown it out on Twitter on my First Lady podcast Twitter page at First Lady Show. And I asked Detroit fans, what are your thoughts on the Anquan Bolden signing? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Or do you have concerns? And 77% said they love it. But 20% said that they have concerns. Are there some concerns that you have, Logan, with this signing?
0: You know, I don't there's not much to be concerned about. It's a one year deal um, that's Really no risk, but high reward. He's probably going to be a number three receiver, but he's, like I said, he's going to be a good safety blanket. So speed has never been to the name of his game. So usually as guys age, they have have issues with, you know, if they lose a step, they can't do what they used to do. Well, that's not Bolden's problem. He's never had to to have to be quick, you know. So I think he's going to be able to continue doing what he's been doing in the past, and he's going to be able to be a big help at a one-year deal. If he doesn't work out, so what? It's only one year. We have plenty of cap space. We're going to be all right.
1: I'll play devil's advocate advocate here then, excuse me. (laughs) My friend Tom on Twitter echoed my sentiments because he asked, how is a wide receiver this good, not locked up by a contender? He sure does move a lot for a 4 a premier player. I mean, yeah, Yeah. if, if you've got a guy like Anquan Bolden who is supposed to be this premier player and he is supposed to be this good, Why has he not been locked up before this?
0: Well, I think that's just an issue with expectations. Uh, I'm I'm not expecting huge things from Anquan Bolden. I'm not even expecting really 800 yards from him. I just think that he should be able to be a good third option for Stafford with reliable hands, and he can do what he's been doing in the past, just in smaller amounts. So, yeah, I guess if you're going to expect him to actually fill the Calvin Johnson role, yeah, you're going to be severely disappointed. But he can still do a lot of things for a team, and I think he's going to be able to bring that to Detroit, who is looking for receiver depth.
1: So, speaking of that, Darius Slay, what do you got for me on this? Because I'm seeing about a 50-50 split on social media right now as to reactions from Lions fans on this one.
0: (laughs) It's crazy that that this deal isn't more loved by fans, because I, I feel like so many people are only focusing on Slay's really one bad game he had last year against Denver where he allowed a couple catches against Pro Bowl receivers. I mean, and he was on, he covered them well, which is the crazy part, but I think it's the right move. They signed him to a team friendly contract right now. It's the number seven average contract in the league at this point in time, two years from now, that could be a top 15 contract. And two years from now, when he's in his true prime, he might be a top five corner, which is going to be a steal. So, I think, it's, I think it's the right move. He got paid the same as Janoris Jenkins, who I think, you know, Slade really doesn't have all the flashy numbers that Janoris Jenkins does. But Janoris Jenkins also gets burned a ton. So <laughs> Slade, Slade doesn't get burned. Once he starts getting into interceptions, he'll be recognized as the top corner of the league. And we're really paying him only $12.5 million average out for I his exception. That. So I I'm good with that.
1: Yeah, I'm good with that too. See, a lot of the stuff that's come down on him today, you know, people will always be biased within the media. And so you read one article and it sounds like it's the best move ever. And you read another article and they're like, we're not too keen on this. So I like your take on that. That's really good. Taylor Decker, (laughs) left tackle, supposedly, hopefully, maybe Caldwell's not giving us jack on this guy, really, other than he thinks he's going to be good. But what are you hearing on this? What are you hearing on Decker? What are you thinking?
0: You know, that's, I'm kind of concerned about him being at left tackle. It's it's very difficult for any rookie to come into the league and play left tackle. And we're talking about top five picks that come into the league and struggle. Taylor Decker was the fourth best tackle in this year's draft. And we're plugging him in at left tackle, which you have to be very good at protecting the quarterback. And that's actually one of his weaknesses. Mm-hmm. You know, last year he was, a, he was above average at uh, in QB protection, but he wasn't great at it. He's been known for his run, run blocking ability. So to put him right away at left tackle, I think that's a bit of concern. I think it should improve our run game because you are putting two run run guys on the edges. So hopefully that can help. But as far as the pass protection goes, I don't know if he's going to be much bigger of an upgrade over Riley Reif at left tackle.
1: So if you're Jim Caldwell and you have a guy like Taylor Decker and you're going to put him out during training camp and you want to see for sure what he can do what's it going to take for you to put him out in that starting position? Is it going to be just a good, solid play ability? Or do you want to just kind of start him out slow and do what he can do and let him develop as a young talent and maybe put him as like a second or third string?
0: You know, we're in a tough spot because Reese is a free agent this year. So we kind of got to figure out almost immediately if Decker can play this left tackle position or not. And if he can't, we're going to have to look down the road and see who we got for the future to put at left tackle. But I think as of right now, Quinn, at the first round, you know, the number 16 pick, he obviously sees Decker as a left tackle. So you might as well plug him in and, and play him and take take what he gives you because, uh, honestly, we don't really have another option right now because Riley Reef I think he has a bad rep just because <laughs> he was on a bad line altogether last year, mm-hmm. and he kind of took the blame for it. I think he was all right at left tackle, but he's not – He's not the left tackle you want for your future. He is more of a right tackle. So we got to see what Decker has right now to see if he can be the left tackle for our future.
1: And I've seen, I've seen a lot of different writers around the Detroit area saying that Reef would be a good fit at right tackle, and you're seeming to echo that. Do you think that if he showcases and really shows what he's got out there in the right tackle position that it's going to up his value even more, or that he's just going to stay here in Detroit?
0: Yeah, I mean, if he plays well at right tackle, I I feel like he'd want to come back. He doesn't seem too picky on which side he plays. So, yeah, if he plays well and we pay him like a well-paid right tackle, good. I'd be fine with that. But, yeah, left tackle in a pass-happy league, he really isn't what you're looking for. But as a right tackle, if he can continue to block well in the run game and open up some holes there, I mean, that's really all you can ask for a right tackle because a team can afford to pay a right tackle left tackle money. So, we'll see how it goes.
1: And hey, speaking of contracts, our boy Matthew Stafford. I know he's got 2 years oh, left on this contract, but you know, we all know that a guy of his caliber never really actually reaches free agency. So, I know the negotiations no. are always off. But if you had to put a price on Stafford right now, I'm going to give you a second. What are you paying? and why? Because there are a lot of analysts who seem to think that he's going to sign on that dotted line for the richest deal in the freaking history of the league. Forget Andrew Luck, Stafford is our next guy. I'm not buying into it. I want to know if you had to right now put, in, put a, a dollar amount on Stafford's head, what are you going to pay for him?
0: Well, you know, I I follow the same sentiments as a lot of reader, or a lot of writers you've seen. I think with the way the salary cap is going, the salary cap has grown like $22 million in the last two seasons. When Stafford's a free agent after the end of the 2017 season, and you, you could guess that the salary cap's going to be at $170 million. So if <laughs> if you're looking at that much space, it's not too unreasonable to think that Stafford can be making Andrew Luck money. So as of right now, if we were to sign that extension with Stafford, I would hope it'd be less than Andrew Luck, but I find that to be unrealistic because he knows he holds the card in two years he's going to be a free agent and honestly I think he will probably make the same if not more than Andrew Luck so I think personally I'm a Stafford supporter I think he's worth it I think once we have a run game surrounding him he can do a lot more with his talent but he just really hasn't been afforded that run game to really elevate him to the next level to put him in that upper echelon of quarterbacks
1: And that, what you just said right there, I think is the biggest key to all of this. If we get the game supported around him, because I truly am thinking right now, if he's got a great season, no question, I think he's going to surpass the luck numbers. But if we can't put the right pieces in play and he looks like a joke out there, I'm concerned for what his value will be just for him as an individual, not even necessarily just staying with the Lions, but how much will his value decrease if we don't see this run game come around him, if we don't see guys who can catch a ball and can help get it down the field, I, I am concerned for his value there. And I know that there's been a lot of people that have seen him around training camp that are saying he looks more mature. And that word mature makes me nervous as well because they do me, do they mean mature in the way he's handling himself or are they saying he's looking old and beat up? Can Stafford really do what he was capable of in the past? Those, those things come into play for me and make me nervous. Do you agree? Do you think that... You know, if we don't see this stuff come come together around Stafford, that it's going to be messy for him this season, and his value may decrease.
0: Yeah, that's that's a real possibility. I mean, I think his welcome starting to wear thin uh, just because he hasn't won a ton of games, and that is the one big difference if you compare him to Andrew Luck. That their stats are actually very similar. Their career stats. Stafford actually has a better completion percentage than Andrew Luck, and more yards per game, but it, it doesn't. It comes down to wins. And Stafford, if he doesn't win, people are going to want him out. So, yeah, if he, if he regresses in the win category, which is you know, somewhat possible this year, yeah, there's going to be a real possibility that Stafford doesn't make nearly as much money as he thinks he will.
1: Well, I'm hoping that Jim Caldwell is right, because Jim Caldwell is pushing the agenda that Stafford's looking better than he's ever looked before, and this is our season, and I want to buy into that, and that does take me over to the Jim Caldwell side of things. This guy's taking to the media by storm and saying, this is our season. He is, like, unrealistically, in my opinion, hyped about this upcoming season. Do you think that this is a true, actual representation of what we have to look forward to as Detroit Lions fans, or... Is this a guy looking for a little bit of job security?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, what else would he expect Caldwell to say? I mean, he knows he has to win more games than last year to remain head coach. But it's funny because I keep finding myself thinking, you know, I think a lot will have to go right to win 11 games, but only a little will have to go wrong to win five. And so I'm I'm scared. And already with the news today coming out that DeAndre Levy is on the PUP, I'm already kind of shaking my head like, oh, no, are we going to? have to deal with this again with injuries and, you know, who, who knows. So our schedule is a little easier. So i like that. I think we have a good shot. We can win a lot of games, but at the same time, you know, we could lose a lot depending on who gets injured and you, you just never know. But I think I like our chances, but we'll see.
1: Jim Caldwell has survived the complete overhaul that has been the Lions, right? Like the president, the GM, Megatron retiring. I wanna buy into this guy and I wanna think that if all the pieces are in place, he's gonna take what it he's gonna have what it takes to get the job done. But realistically, if the Lions don't make the playoffs this year, do you think he stays a fourth season?
0: No, I, I don't think he does. Quinn he Quinn came in a little bit later. I don't think he had every one of his options that he wanted to pick as a coach. I think Caldwell's schemes and his personality does align with Quinn, but at the same time, I think he's still going to be on a very short leash. You know, he needs to make something happen, and Quinn was brought in here knowing that, you know, this is the NFL. Teams have to win now, and, you know, the, the talent is there to win now. So uh, if if they don't – Caldwell, I, in my opinion, if he doesn't make the playoffs, he's gone unless, unless maybe Stafford got hurt or something crazy where – You knew their season was in the gutter before it even started.
1: So with all of these pieces coming into play then, Logan, we're going to wrap it up a little bit. What Mm -hmm. is the most concerning for you? What is your biggest question mark? Because at the beginning of this interview, I asked you, are you optimistic, are you pessimistic, or are you realistic? And you said optimistic, but with some question marks. So for you, looking ahead to this season, what is your biggest question mark of all? What are you most nervous about heading into training camp and ultimately the regular season?
0: And I hit on it a little bit ago. I think it's really the O-line development. We do have a young O-line, and sometimes that's all you need is some development and some continuity in the line to really become a strong O-line to have a running game. So, you know, we're going to have to have a running game to succeed this year. And I think actually Amir Abdullah is a perfect fit for the job. Our line doesn't open up any huge holes, and Amir can kind of weave in and out of those small little creases. And he does a great job. He gets tough yards. He makes yards. Uh, For himself, he doesn't need a hole to get yards. So I think my biggest concern is just the O-line and how it's going to hold up because I think our defense is definitely going to be there. If if they can hold up and we have a decent offensive game, we're going to be able to win a lot of games. So my biggest concern is O-line. If they can step up to the plate, I think it's going to be a real good season for us.
1: I completely, completely agree. So I'm going to spin you around blindfolded in the dark and make you point at a piece on the wall. If you had to say today, based on everything, the question marks, the optimism, what is the Lions record going to be this regular season?
0: Uh, shot in the oh, dark. Man, Come on. Here. Gunshot, gunshot.
1: No, it's just a, uh, it's a prop bet. Come on. I'm
0: going with nine. I'm going with nine and seven. And it, it pains me to say it because last year I I predicted 11 wins and we ended up with seven so I think it's one of those things where I don't want to get too overconfident in how well they will play, but I think nine wins with their schedule is realistic. So uh, I, I hope for a little bit more and hope for a playoff berth and give just give us an opportunity to get into the into the playoffs. But you know we'll see. I but if I had to put a number on it, I'm going with nine wins.
1: Logan. My man, that's literally exactly what I've written on my paper. That was my bold prediction. I'm glad we are on the same page here. Logan, before I get you I'm out of here. Around the same page. Me too. Where can people find your stuff on Detroit Sports Nation?
0: So Detroit Sports Nation, uh, just under the name Logan Land here. you can click on there. Uh, my Twitter, I'm not on Twitter too much, but uh, at Legit Lions fan. So yeah, just either there and contact me through Twitter or Detroit Sports Nation and we'll be good to go.
1: Logan, great stuff, man. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Jenna. It was great talking
1: to you. You too. Awesome. Huge, huge thank you to Logan Lamarandier of Detroit Sports Nation. You know, he had said his biggest concern and his biggest question mark in all of this is how that O-line is going to come together. And we are going to continue to hear this until the first game of the season. There's no doubt about it. We're going to talk about it until we're blue in the face because that's the reality of sports, isn't it? Everything is just hypotheticals until it comes into play. But I do think we have so many options with this O-line that I hope that the Lions will take the time to move people around and see who has the best fit with Stafford, with everybody else on this O-line to really create a strong chemistry, not just for starters, but on the bench as well so that we know we have a backup plan should somebody get hurt so that we don't have holes like we did in past seasons. Marvin Jones, Golden Tate, Anquan Bolden, Eric Ebron, Amir Abdullah, Theoretic AJ, TJ Jones, excuse me. I mean, like we've got, we've got the guys, Taylor Decker. I'm, I'm excited, guys. I'm excited to see how they're going to move these guys around and make these pieces and parts come together to hopefully bring us a successful winning season. But there is always that, but there is that question mark. Will we ever be able to fill a hole of a guy like Calvin Johnson? I think that Logan nailed it. You're never going to fill a hole like we did with Calvin Johnson, but maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe it was a good thing that Calvin Johnson retired when he did. Maybe we did need a shakeup because maybe we gave him a little too much credit. Maybe we're going to have a guy come in here that's going to blow us away and go, wow, if Stafford had a guy like this four seasons ago, could we have seen a different Lions team? I'm excited to see some new guys come in and I am going to stay on that side of optimism, but with those question marks. So I'm very excited for training camp to continue to go underway and we can see what these Lions are capable of during the regular season when we come back. We are going to talk Tigers, we're going to talk Bradley Osmus, and we are going to talk about the most beloved stadiums in all of America. That's next on the First Lady Podcast. Guys, listen up. I know it's summertime, it's hot, it's humid here in Detroit, and these temperatures just seem to keep getting hotter. But you know what's not hot? Pit stains! You guys all know what I'm talking about. Sweating through the underarms of your shirt can be, well, downright embarrassing, but Lawrence Hunt has the perfect solution. Their dress shirts for men are not only really sharp-looking fellas, but they actually wick away moisture, leaving you and your armpits dry. Best of all, they're designed here in Detroit. So go ahead, leave the office, go straight to the ballgame without worrying about showing off that hard-earned pit sweat while you cheer for your Tigers. I mean, hey, if our catcher James McCann's rocking them, you probably should too. Just use promo code DSP. For 15% off today. Just head on over to LHWear.com. That's LHWEAR.com.
0: Regulars! Mama!
1: It was a clear black night, a clear white moon, warmer G was on the streets, trying to consume some skirts for the evening. So I could get some phones rolling in my ride, chilling all around. Just hit the east side of the LBC on a mission trying to find Mr. Warren
0: G. Seen a call
1: of- you are back with the First Lady Podcast here on Detroit Sports Podcast. And I gave you a little bit of a tease there earlier in the show. I don't know if you've seen the video, but if you haven't, you're probably living under a rock. Because Ian Kinsler decided that he was going to play a little... Nice little game of rock, paper, scissors in the clubhouse earlier this week. And, you know, I have to admit that watching that little video of rock, paper, scissors reminded me of my own current status in life. I said, if today could be Ian Kinsler, then I'm probably the Jose Iglesias in this scenario because I feel like life's just beat me over the head with a water jug because that is exactly what happened in our clubhouse. These guys are playing rock, paper, scissors to pass the time. Kinsler wins. He takes the water cooler right over Iglesias' head. And that's the end of it. That's the end of the video. Miggy's got it on his Instagram. Verlander's got it on his Instagram. I don't know what's funnier, watching Iglesias get clobbered with this water cooler or Miggy's laugh in the background of this video. But regardless of that, I loved the metaphor that this created for me instantly, which is looking for the humor and the light side of things in these bleak situations. And it is completely undeniable that on at least a a certain level... These Tigers have been disappointing to watch this season. And so I feel like people are so quick to point their fingers to Brad Osmus, which is easy. And it's easy for fans. It's easy for media to just hurry up and point a finger. Brad Osmus, it's your fault. But I tend to sympathize with that a little bit. You know, I feel like as far as the actual job title of manager goes, Brad Osmus hasn't done a terrible job. I don't think we should be calling for his head at this point. But I almost feel like you can compare it to the president of the United States, for example. We all know the president is the most important person of the organization, that being our country in this exact scenario. But there are people below him that also are very, very important key pieces to making decisions to run our country. And similarly, Osmus has a level of seniority within the Tigers organization. But there are many moving pieces and parts that will reflect his success. Similarly to the United States. You know, we've got Congress, we've got the, the judicial system, we've got all of these pieces that come together to make our country ultimately successful, and it's not on the back of one human being. Brad Osmus gets called for. Let's be real. His bullpen management, his lineup changes, they are far from what I generally consider to be leadership in any way, shape, or form. But you've got to admit that especially in the last week, he's got something right. He's doing things to go ahead and make these changes. I want to try to romanticize it for a second if I can. You might have seen a little movie. You might have lived through a time where Moneyball came into play. And this is a far stretch on a certain aspect. But at the same time, I hope not. I hope that at the end of this season or by the end of next season, if Osmus is still around to talk about it, that we see all of these pieces come together that from the outside look really scary but at the end could be really romantic and really great for the Tigers organization. The moves that they're making or not making, the pulls that he's making within the game, I feel like awesomeness is learning from his mistakes and maybe he is orchestrating some really awesome, cool plan for our team that is hard to see from the outside. I mean, hey, it's a possibility, but we're looking for the light. We're looking for the optimism, right? I mean, we're heading into the cutoff on on Monday at 4 p.m. Are the Tigers going to wheel and deal and do something crazy that nobody's seen? Probably not probably not because prices are high. There's definitely a supply and demand within Major League Baseball right now that I don't really think the Tigers are able to meet. I don't think Lucroy is a possibility at this point, so I think it is safe to say that come Monday at 4 p.m., we're not going to see much, if anything, from the Tigers. Am I okay with that? Well, I think it's like everything else in life. If Osmus can continue to pull through, and hopefully make some romantic money ball situation happen where I'm seeing guys go out and make hits and get bases and get runs and get things to happen, great. But all I can see from the outside are pitching situations where they're they're dark 99% of the time. I have no idea who's pitching for a game until it's game time. I have no idea who's even available to be a substitute because all these shifts and moves keep happening within the pitching situation alone within our Tigers that it does make me nervous. And I do see that there are some significant changes that need to be made or should be made. We don't have the money to do it. We don't have the supply and demand to be able to meet that within the league. So what does give? Does it have to be Brett Osmus? Do we need to find someone who can use the talent that he is unfortunately probably stuck with to be able to make something happen? Brett Osmus was loving on Fenway earlier. Did you see that this week? Did you see the story about him just giving mad love to Fenway, the guy who's supposed to be all in at Comerica Park? That was another red flag for me, by the way. Brett Ausmus gave some mad love to Fenway, and it got me thinking, because of the way that he so passionately talked about Fenway, what my favorite ballparks were in all of America. Now, granted, I've only been to three. I've been to Chase Field. I've been down to St. Louis to see the Cardinals play, and I've been here to Comerica, but that also means that I've been to Tiger Stadium. So I guess technically that is four, but here in Detroit, I think we've got a really, I think we've got a really great stadium. I don't want to sound biased because I've only been to four, but of all of them, I feel like Detroit's got my top two between Tiger Stadium and Comerica Park, and that might surprise some people because I did throw it out on social media, and we had a lot of Rockies fans saying Coors Light Stadium's where it's at, and that's probably true. I've never been there to experience that myself. You know, we've got the people who say Petco Park, and eh, I don't really know about that one. I've been over that way. I don't think it's anything necessarily special, but. There is a certain magic to me about Comerica Park, and I think that anybody who's visited Comerica Park knows what I'm talking about. You see the city skyline in the distance. You've got Chelly's Bar right there where everybody comes and parties before the games. You've got all these fans surrounding the big tiger in front of the stadium. You've got the even up in the upper levels. With all of the bars and the lights and the bleacher atmosphere, if you want to get that little taste of Tiger Stadium where you're still sitting in bleachers watching games, I love that about our park. The restaurants are all phenomenal. The staff is all always smiling. I've not seen that at any other stadium that I've personally been to, but it still doesn't take the cake for me because I look back at Tiger Stadium memories I had growing up and nothing's ever going to top it. And I did get a lot of responses from people on Twitter and Facebook saying nothing will ever top Tiger Stadium ever. I can remember growing up and going to Tiger Stadium before it was torn down. Granted, let's keep in perspective. It was torn down when I was eight years old. Okay, so my memories are a little bit foggier, but I can remember developing my first crush at Tiger Stadium on one player named Mr. Bobby Higginson. I know. I know. Bobby Higginson. My taste wasn't the greatest, but... That was my first crush. And I remember every time we'd get up to bat, I would just cheer my little head off and I would scream. And every single time we went down, which was granted probably only about two or three times a year, but we always had our mitts in hands. So my brother and I were ready to catch a foul ball. Foul ball. We were convinced that we were going to catch a foul ball every game. And usually my dad was able to scoop one up for us. But, you know, I think back on those memories, and I have to think that for every sports fan – the stadium you grow up going to, the basketball court you grew up going to, the football field you grew up going to, is that automatically your default favorite? Do you think that's ultimately what builds those fond memories? Memories, And maybe you look back at that with a certain level of adoration or were they really that great? Because I, I don't know if I am biased, but I feel like with all of the history that Tiger Stadium had, with Babe Ruth and his 700th career home run, with a guy like Ty Cobb playing at Tiger Stadium, Back in the days where, and I love that Jim Harbaugh did this, by the way. Did you see that tweet on social media today, guys, where he said that he misses when baseball kicked up dust? I love that. I feel like that is such a metaphor for how Major League Baseball is right now. It's watered down. What happened to the days when baseball did get a little dusty? Did that build excitement for fans when you're sitting on those metal bleachers, wooden bleachers, wooden seats? In the sunshine, facing the elements, gritting it out with your team. I want to get back to those days. I think that that would be so fun. Back in the days of Tigers Stadium over in Corktown, walking around, all the seats in the sunshine. I feel like those were the days when baseball was really, really great. And I hope that Brad Osmus can bring that culture back to our Tigers because I think when you can bring back that Americanism love for baseball... We will see a shift within our clubhouse. And I think that the rock, paper, scissors was just the bigger metaphor for the fun that these guys are trying to have while they power through it and figure out their issues. I'm excited to see what Osmus can do. I hope that people will continue to give him a shot. And one day, very, very soon, I have a feeling we will one way or another. And I hope it's not at the end of the season. I do hope, I'm going to put it out there for everybody. I do hope that they give Osmus one more season to prove what he's got. I hope that he can continue to shift people around and move what he needs to move to make this happen for the Tigers. And so many people have seen me give so much hate for Ausmus these days that I think that's going to shock somebody. But I truly believe in the Moneyball romanticism that I think could be happening behind the scenes of our Tigers. What the hell is that about? Well, you want to know what the hell that's about? That's about you going on social media and either telling me that I'm freaking right on or that I'm wrong. Go on to social media right now at Detroit Jenna. Let me know what you think. Do you think the Tigers have another chance to redemption with Brad Ausmus as your guy? Do you think oh, we have a chance? No. no? Yes? I don't care. Lay it all on me. I want to hear from you at social media, on social media at Detroit Jenna on Twitter, on Facebook. Plug into the show. Get involved. By the way, in case you weren't aware, you can subscribe to our, our podcast on iTunes. We've got shows coming out seven freaking days a week. This one's on Saturday, every Saturday. I don't want you to miss a single episode. So get plugged in, get subscribed. We're here for you seven days a week. We're going to be right back. I want to hit you with some Jenna's takes and tackles around the league, around the country, and around Detroit. That's next. You are back on the First Lady Show here on Detroit Sports Podcast. And I teased it at the very beginning of the show. If you've ever wanted to meet the infamous, the only Jenna Jones, you just might get your chance. It was brought to my attention by my lovely father that he may or may not have two extra tickets to the Tigers game this Sunday at 1 p.m. So my brother and I will be in attendance. We will be pre-gaming down at Chelly's. And I know that this is radio and you can't see my face. But if you do follow me on social media, you might be able to pick me out of a crowd or two or three. But here's what I'm going to tell you. If you are at Comerica, you are at Chelly's before the game. Just yell out, first lady. And if someone turns around, it's probably me. I would love to hang out and meet some of the fans here around Detroit. Hear your thoughts. Hear your takes. Buy you a beer or two. I don't know. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it would be cool to meet some of you guys. Maybe meet my younger brother, who's the male version of me. And we could probably have some fun. That said, Jenna's Takes and Tackles is all about having some fun. My boy, Chris Illuminati, writes for Bro Bible. You can follow him on Twitter, at Chris Illuminati. This article blew my mind, and all you need to know is, well, you're in beer. If you like, you're in beer, he says, then you're in luck. This article, when I saw it, kind of threw me off a little bit as the beer connoisseur I like to say that I am, because... Uh, being a beer connoisseur, most people don't say that their favorite beer is Coors Light. They compare it to urine 99% of the time with its watery content. However, it is one of my go-to beers. It's cheap, it's delicious, and, uh, we'll just call it nutritious. And Doc of the Doc and Jock Show endorses this. I appreciate that. I like that. You know, this urine beer thing, um... I'm just going to be honest with you. If I found out that there was a a beer made of urine, I probably would just turn and run the other way. But scientists have actually figured out a way to turn urine into beer. Because as Chris Illuminati says, science rules. A Belgian university has literally created a machine that turns your you-know-what, your pee, into drinkable water and fertilizer using solar energy. What? Now, as Chris points out in this article, there are countries that don't even have water clean enough to drink, and we are purifying urine so clean it can be consumed as beer. This blows my mind. This whole campaign is under the slogan hashtag P for Science, and this team has deployed a machine that at a 10-day music and theater festival has recovered 1,000 liters of human urine to produce Beer! Beer! I want to know, first of all, Chris posed this question in the article, and I, I got to be with him on this. How do you collect 1,000 liters of urine? Are you following people around with buckets? Are you emptying out porta potties Because that part of it's a little bit important for me as well. Once I get past the fact that I'm drinking someone else's urine. But the aim of this is actually to install larger versions of the machine in sports venues, airports, or in rural communities of the world where fertilizers are used for reliable drinking in short supply. So... Basically, what we could see is being tagged as sewer beer, sewer brewers. Can you imagine going down to Comerica Park, taking a leak in a trough like most people do in sports venues, and then you go out and you get a pint of beer knowing that you just recycled your own urine to, to, to produce this said beer? If it was maybe like a quarter for a six-pack or something, I would consider it because I am actually that cheap. No, I'm, I'm going to take that back. I'm not actually that cheap. There is no way in hell I'm drinking my own urine. I don't care if it's going to get me drunk or not. This is just crazy. If you think that you would drink your own urine, please find me on social media because I would love to hear your reasoning why. Because if nothing else, out of curiosity, this is killing me here. I, uh, I don't think you could pay me enough, world, enough money in the world to do this. Um, NBA players have one thing in common with me, and it's not our love for basketball. It's our love for strippers. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. I uh, read an article about mm, two hours ago that was talking about a new strip club that opened up in Georgia. Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you've been to it. I'm not sure what the situation would be for you. But I know that rapper T.I. has opened a new strip club in Atlanta and um, made just about what I make in a year on one stripper pool. There is a woman. Her name is Zyla she made $32,000 in one night working at the table of anonymous, quote, 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 NBA players. Now, I love me some big old boobies, okay? I'm going to put it right out there. I love going to strip clubs. I go with my friends frequently. I've been to some around the Metro Detroit area, so you might run into me at one of those. So, Do you think that it's okay for our NBA guys to be throwing around wads of cash like this at strippers because it's all good fun and a good chunk of America spends their money this way? Or do you think that maybe for the sake of the league, for the sake of the media attention, for the sake of all the drama that tends to follow sports these days, they could maybe steer clear a little bit? I'm on the MO of get you some boobies in your face, fall in love with a stripper or two, and call it a night. Go have fun. I'm all about this. I love this story. I love that there are guys going to TI's strip club and throwing fat wads of cash. There is a girl. There's a picture on Instagram of this girl laying in a literal pool of money. Good for you, girlfriend. You make more than I make in a year in one night stripping for some NBA players. Good on you. Good freaking on you. Deadspin posted an article earlier today as well. The article was about IndyCar and the health of the IndyCar series right now. And being heavily involved within the IndyCar, uh, I don't know if you want to call it maybe like a fandom or a following. I was part of the Speed Freaks podcast out in Phoenix, which is actually based in California. And I got the chance to go to a lot of IndyCar races, but I also dated a former IndyCar driver whose, whose father is an IndyCar legend. And I dated Ari Leyendijk Jr. and his father is Ari Leyendijk. I'm good friends with Connor Daly. I'm very, very much involved in the lives of a lot of different drivers in this series, all of which who, at some point, have been involved with Target as a sponsor. And the big news in IndyCar right now is the fact that Target has actually pulled out of the entire series as a sponsor. Now, for IndyCar, this is huge. And this is sending off huge red flags for anybody who follows IndyCar at all. Because as someone who's been a sponsor of IndyCar itself as a series for decades, This is something that's pointing to the health of IndyCar potentially as an entire series. Is this the beginning of the end for IndyCar? Now, this has been a question for anybody who's followed it for years now. You know, we've seen drivers who cannot seem to get sponsorship because companies just aren't finding the value anymore. There's not a huge following of IndyCar anymore. And the TV ratings tend to prove otherwise, but strictly for big races like the Indy 500. So for all the race fans who are out there listening, you have to ask yourself the question, is this the beginning of the end? And I did talk to all three of those drivers, one of whom is currently employed by Chip Ganassi Racing, who is sponsored directly by Target. I spoke with Ari Leondyke Jr. and Ari Leondyke Sr. and I asked them, what is your opinion on Target pulling out? And they said, you know, it could be indicative of the future of the series, but at the same time you know, sponsors come and go. And there's no hard feelings there for any of them with Target in and of itself. It could be more indicative of the health of Target as a company and where they're directing their marketing monies to. It's not necessarily the end of IndyCar. So the consensus from all of the drivers, current and former IndyCar fans, is don't get too excited yet. Hold your breath. Let's wait it out because this is not necessarily the end of IndyCar as we know it, which gives me a huge sigh of relief because as we all know, as IndyCar fans race in mid Ohio this weekend, I'm super excited to see who can pull through and get the win out there because that's one of, from what I hear, the most fun, badass tracks that you can race on in the entire series. So that said, We're going to wrap up Jenna's tackles and takes for this week. I'm so excited that you guys joined me this week for one more episode. We're going to see you again next week. Same time next Saturday. And don't forget, subscribe to Detroit Sports Podcast on iTunes because I don't want you to miss a single episode of mine or any of the other amazing shows we put out seven days a week. We'll see you next time, Detroit. Have a great weekend.